Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Jake. Yes, sir. Did you know it is our anniversary month? How long have we been married? (laughs) No, the show. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I did know The that, show's actually. anniversary. We are turning six years old, and to celebrate that- We're going to first grade. We're <laughs> close. We're giving a discount on our Patreon. If you join the year-long subscription to the Patreon, you can get 15% off during the month of May. You can find out everything about our Patreon at patreon.com slash thecritshow, but all tiers for the month of May are 15% off when you sign up for the annual membership. Is that as exciting as first grade? You know, now that I'm kind of remembering back to first grade, that's far better than first grade. So we are now a week removed from having moved into our various new locations. Do you feel any more set up than you were this time last week? Very much so. I got a whole lot done this week. Shit. Oh, no. <laughs> what about you, Jake? Uh, it's getting better and worse. So my desk, my my little office nook, all pretty much set up. It's great. I even built a little shelf that like my MIDI keyboard can slide underneath now and my monitor sits on top of. So it's like really organized. But also, I went back to our old place and did realize that everything that was on the walls was still on the walls. So I took (laughs) all of it down and brought it over. And there aren't as many walls in the new place, I'm pretty sure. So that's worse. There's a pile of that on the kitchen island. What I'm discovering is that like, as I go around to make things better, I make some other area much worse. Yeah. (laughs) One step forward and two steps back. Yeah. We get together. And do this weekly, and that's about all I can hold together. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you head over to Reddit, Andrew, one of our Reddit mods, is holding another fan art contest, which he has lovingly entitled Artpocalypse. And I have to read this because this was the post that came with it. He's everyone's favorite villain, friend, bad boy with a heart of brimstone. Whatever he is, Damien has been wreaking havoc on the Crit Show universe since the very beginning. Now let's immortalize this immortal character in art. Uh, So this contest is running through the end of September. Your entries are due on September 30th. You can head over to reddit.com slash r slash the crit show to find all the details about the Damien O'Doyle fan art contest, uh, including how to enter and what the prize is. Just a reminder that this month, our Patreon cycle for the swag and for the shirts is in its first step. So if you want to get onto the swag or the shirt tier, uh, September is the month to join. And also a reminder to go to the thecritshowpodcast.com slash monstermash to enter your bracket to possibly win a first edition Monster of the Week uh, signed by Michael Sands. And lastly, stay tuned after this episode for an interview with a very special guest. And with that, it's time to let the recap roll. 
So you know that the synths in this building are controlled by Peregrine K, and you actually see on the left side of this room another door. It does not have a scan bar at it, and actually has a sign kind of hanging crooked on it that says piss off. I believe I could spread my consciousness to them and get a hold of the 25 that are active, but that would leave you vulnerable to the other ones that are not active. I could also try to spread myself out into the system more and get into all of them, but I would not be able to stay in all of them. I could shift around between maybe 15 at a time, but I would have control over the entirety of the 49 or so. Gregory, do the the 24 that you can get that are active. I'm going to go through this panel and cut the power, get out and try to get those boxes. All right, so here's my thought, just so we can make this as quick as possible. You know, you you keep an eye on this. I'm going to go up, get the first one, and let you know as soon as I have it, and then pop it off, put it on the next nest, and I'll get the second one so I don't have to go back and forth and chance getting seen a few times. Okay. Oh, no, I think there seems to be some kind of a problem. What kind of problem, Gregory? I only have access to these bodies. I can't seem to access mine. And you hear this loud thunk as something hits the ground at the bottom of the ladder. And you turn and you look, and you see Gregory's head rolling towards your feet. Jake, you are standing in the maintenance room, making your way across to the other power cords for the second nest that Tass needs to access. There is a loud thunk as something hits the ground at the base of the ladder, and you look down to see Gregory's head rolling towards your feet. What are you doing? And I don't have any reason to believe that his head can just do that. Yeah, you're pretty sure. He didn't send it down here to deliver a message. Yeah, there's not like little spider legs on the bottom of it. (laughs) Do I hear or see anyone or thing following that head down? Roll assess. Eight. You get a hold one. Who or what is my biggest threat in this situation? As you stand here quietly listening, you do hear some pretty soft footsteps in the room above you. They don't seem to be coming towards the ladder but they're moving around as if they are inspecting something. And you actually, after a moment, hear, What the hell is this thing doing here? That's not good. Fuck. And then footsteps again towards the door. Okay, I'm going to plant the device, first of all. Yeah. And then I'm going to creep back up the ladder and survey what what exactly happened in here. Yeah, you make your way up the ladder, and when you get back into the server room, there is Gregory's body. His head has been cleanly severed, and it is laying on the ground with both of its hands out, and you can see that each of his fingers has been removed. I want to look at his workspace and see if it's, like, offline or something. It is still online, but you do see the ends of all of his fingers and his thumbs still plugged in. Okay. I'm going to shoot a text to Tass fucking explaining this like Gregory has been beheaded and befingered I think Peregrine is out there looking for what's going on um since Gregory just spoke to me I'm gonna I don't know kind of turn to this synth are you are you there are you still there yes what's going on oh god we think Peregrine found you oh no yes I do I see him he's near one of the other bodies oh god okay we gotta move quickly your body over there was beheaded. Can you still operate just staying in one of these or put all of you in one of these when we need to go? I don't know. Oh, God. Oh, God. I've never lost my body before. Okay, we'll figure this out because obviously you're still sentient. That's good. That's step one. I'm going to go get the other box. That's the stuff you guys need unless we need to abort now, but I can go get it and we can get out. It would not be my place to abort whatever mission Noel sent you on. 
All right, just sit tight. Keep doing what you're doing. We'll figure it out. Oh, please hurry. He seems to be pulling out some kind of device like he's going to start scanning the other body. Where is he? Uh, He is at the backside of the nest that you just came from. Okay, great. So as I'm walking towards the other nest, I am sending Jake a message. It is definitely Peregrine. He's right outside of the nest where the exit to that hallway is. Is the thing planted? Yeah. I'm going to get the other box. We'll have to try to figure out what we can do with Gregory if we just take one of these synths. I don't know yet, but either hide or try to find a way out of that room. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This is gruesome, but I think I'm going to collect Gregory's head. I don't know exactly how synths are constructed, but my knee-jerk guess would be that where there should be a brain, that's where the information is, and I don't want them to be able to recover it and, like, glean things from him, so... All right, so you go back down the ladder and you grab his head, uh, and then where are you headed? God, I live in the L-shaped hallway, I guess. Oh, oh, how can I get to the guns? The big guns that were sticking through the holes. So far, you're not sure. All you've seen are just those openings for them to be shot through. Uh, But did they look like... They would be physically manned, or do they look like they're like remote controlled? Uh, It seems like they would be physically manned. Okay, I want to figure out how to get to where I could man the guns. How are you doing this? Are you going back out into that hallway and looking? Are you trying to go through the server and find information? No, I think I'm going back into the L-shaped hallway and trying to peek through those holes again and see where, like if I know he's outside the door, you know, he's not in here, then I think I'm safe to go look. Yeah, so you go out into this hallway and peek into the hole and you can see that there's actually hallway that stretches further down on both sides and on the right side, it takes a hard turn that you can't see basically coming back in your direction. And I think you could deduce that it probably connects to the door inside of the room where all the synths were lined up. Okay, I'm going to go gingerly peek that door and see if the rest of the synths in there are online or offline still. So you peek this door open to look into the room. Roll assess. 11. All right, you get a hold three. I guess for starters, who or what is my biggest threat in this situation? So as you look through the room, you do notice that all 35 of the synths are back in this room. But 10 of them, you see just a slight blue glow on their cheeks with their heads looking down. Um, And it is the 10 in the back. So there are 25 between you and them uh, that if activated would become a real threat. Uh, I'm thinking one way or another, I went through that door that we think is like Peregrine's office. So I'm going to say, what is my best way past? You notice that on that door, there doesn't seem to be any kind of security system. But just taking a closer look at it, you do see that one of the metal panels is slightly discolored. And at the very bottom, you can see that there is a wire that can be attached and unattached to the bottom of the door. And so you think you need to remove that wire or something bad is going to happen when you open the door. But other than that, it does not seem to have any kind of defense. What do I notice despite an effort to conceal it? In the back right hand corner of the room, you knew that the elevator was supposedly built there. And again, you can see just a slightly off color metal panel about six inches off of the ground. And you feel like that that is the panel that you would need to activate to open up the elevator. Okay. I'm going to head for the regular door uh, and do whatever, remove the wire that I think is endangering me to enter. Roll act under pressure. Oh, dang. Four. And that's with the hold that you get. Five. So Jake, you step forward and you go to pull this wire off of the door. And when you do, you notice that there is this strange catch in it. And so when you pull it just slightly, it actually tightens a knot in this small piece of string that pulls it tighter. And there's an explosion that knocks you backwards 
away from the door. You take three harm as you are blown backwards, and half a dozen of the synths are knocked onto the ground. Roll harm. I rolled a nine. I subtract one because of my armored clothing. So eight uh, on a seven and nine, the MC will choose one of these consequences off a list. All right. So you are blown backwards and you hit the ground. Advance your harm clock by three and your ears are ringing. And there's even a moment of your eyes being staticky. And as the static clears and you're laying on your back looking up, there's a face looking down at you. You mind telling me what exactly you're doing in here? Tass, you are up at the second lockbox. Roll act under pressure to cut it open. Okay. Six. All right, you are able to cut this open, and inside of it is a very small piece of machinery. And in the cutting of this open, you notice that some of the circuits on it get charred. It seems to do something to it. You're not quite sure what, because this piece does not look like anything you've seen before. Um, But you do have it, and it's whole, but it seems somewhat damaged. Oh, shit. I'm going to take it. And about the time you pocket this, you hear very softly. I don't know how to say you hear softly an explosion, but through some walls, you hear a doom. And the Gregory below you in the synth body looks up. There was an explosion in the synth room. Oh, shit. Um, do you have any idea if... This guy controls the synths like with his mind or does he have to be somewhere to control them? I'm not sure. Shit. Can you see anything in the room with the explosion? There are some synths that were knocked down. Jake was blown across the room and Peregrine is now standing over him looking down. Oh, okay. Oh. Should we run? Yes. All right, let's go. Bye, Jake. (laughs) No, no. No, no, no. Gregory, this way. I'm going to head towards the hallway. Okay. And you're instructing him to get all the synths to follow? Yes. All right. Jake, you have this somewhat grizzled man dressed all in black. He has two long sparking blades protruding from his forearms looking down at you. This isn't where the vending machines are. He boots you in the side of the head. If only my stats would allow me to lie. I'm going to play hardball. (laughs) I just go, all right, give up now and I'll let you live. (laughs) I I can see that we're evenly matched. (laughs) But I've got an advantage you don't know about. Uh, Yeah, roll hardball. (laughs) No, no, I'm not being serious. (laughs) Okay. This is a bad guy, right? We know this guy is a bad guy. He's a killer. Yes, yeah. Then yeah, I guess I mean it. So, okay. All right, roll play hardball. 10. Oh my God. He pauses and takes a step backwards at the look on your face. And about that time, Tass opens the door next to him and comes in with a dozen synths. And he turns over his shoulder and looks. Huh. Seems like you all got the drop on me. What's the play here? And he's flexing his fists. We leave. No other harm done. That's the play. And as you say this to him, Tass, ten more synths from the back of the room move forward. And he looks over and sees those ten and the twelve with you and the five on the ground. And you see his eyes flick towards his door as if he wants to make a bolt for it, but he doesn't. And the blades in his wrists slowly retract back into his forearms. All right, you're going to get out of here now. It's been a long time since I've left this place. Been a long time since I've had a reason to. But now I've got something to hunt. We heard you were good. It took a lot to do all of this. So uh, somebody's going to look forward to that hunt. It's not going to be us. Well, no, don't look forward to it. I'm saying I'm going to kill you two. Yeah, no, I get it. Just get out. 
I will struggle to my feet and make for the door. Yeah, Peregrine actually gives you both a last glance and turns and walks towards his door that is hanging off of one hinge. I think I want to just in the habit of making friends out of enemies. I think like right before I get out the door, I was going to be like, that was good with the knot. I even saw it. I even, oh, I saw it coming. You still got me. You thought it was going to give you slack. Instead, it pulled taut. Yep. Very good. And then I'll take off. All right. Can I ask you an experience question? I feel like I had the stuff and could have made the getaway as Gregory kind of suggested, but I came back for Jake. And the one that I had marked for myself was when you put your friend Jake ahead of the mission, mark experience. Yes, absolutely. You can mark that point of experience. Awesome. And I did fail to mention this in the moment. You both actually mark two points of experience now because you have gotten the item from each of the lockboxes and you get a third because you have just neutralized Peregrine. Okay. I'm out in the hallway. I'm looking at the Gregories. What do we do with all of me? I don't think the car will fit all of us. No. I mean, can you just, are you just all of them now that the main body isn't connected or can you sort of shut down the rest and coalesce all into one or I don't understand. I don't know how it works. Yes. I don't really know without trying. I have your head. Oh, that sounds grisly. I don't know if like you can re-congeal yourself into it, like put your hands on it like the Space Jam basketball or anything. He actually asks to see it. Yes, I produce it. He pulls a couple of wires out of the inside of the head and, and starts fiddling with them and reaches up on his own neck and pulls away some of the synthetic flesh. Well, here goes nothing. And he connects some wires into the ones in his neck and the body goes limp and the eyes pulse a little bit. And one of the other Gregories has stepped forward and catches the head before it hits the ground. Ah, well, I don't sense that part of me anymore. I will hope that this blue glow indicates that it is in here now, but that could be good in the sense of getting my body back if I have my head. Ah, so in we all go, I suppose. And they kind of line up in this weird... <laughs> and everybody in the bank is, is like, what the fuck this. is happening? <laughs> And it does, it takes like two minutes for all 24 of these Gregories to get into the head. And now you have a severed head with glowing eyes. And now we leave. All right. The two of you with your head and your ill-gotten goods head out to Grasshopper's car and get inside. What's the plan with the uh, tracker? Doing with the what now? Uh, somebody planted a tracker on us while we were in there. And I want to look around and see if... I see like what, another car lying in wait or anything. If it seems like somebody is out here to tail us when we leave or like watching us right now. You don't see anything. Are there any other cars up here at all? There are two others, but those can be accounted by the two people that you had seen inside that were not Pascal. Okay. Toss it on one of those cars and let's go. What if they are that stupid and they decide to blow it up? Then we're responsible for the death of the people in that car. Huck it over the side and let's go. By your own suggestion, if they are that stupid, then we're the ones that are going to hit the ground real hard. Yeah, I'm mostly trying to decide whether I throw it over the edge or just leave it on the roof. I think I'll just toss it out here on the roof, just away. And as you do, Grasshopper fires up the car and heads you back towards the Brook Alley Market. And we are back inside of Noel's hideout. We are back into the legwork phase. So who wants to roll get paid? I'll do it. All right. What is this plus? How many? You get a plus five for this. <laughs> oh, my God. 14. No, sorry, 16. Oh, good. Oh, my God. All right. Choose three from the list. The meeting doesn't attract the attention of outside parties. It's not a setup or an ambush. 
we don't care about experience. Yeah. And we've already determined that we have identified the employer. So I guess we're paid in full. Why don't you care about experience? Because I've got enough to level up now, but I feel like over the course of the next mission, I probably won't get enough to level up again, even if I take this experience. Uh, okay. And I think we're out of this world at that point. We're out of this world. <laughs> you. All right. So yeah, mark your cred. How much did you each wager on that? I did two. And I did one. All right. So you get four and you get two. You hand the device over to Noel as well as Gregory's head. I see that you encountered some troubles. We did. I I am sorry about a lot of this. The biggest one being Gregory is ahead, but the device in the box got a little fried, and that is 100% my fault. Hmm. Well, I will have to see what I can still get it to do. And she goes over and puts it into her computer, and she actually draws some cables out and connects them into Gregory's head as well. And now you both mark two experience for returning the device to Noel. Outstanding. Um, as they're doing that, I'm going to pull Jake aside and get the box out from the uh, lockbox that I opened. Yeah, you get it out and open it up. And inside is a rolled up piece of paper about five inches high and a salt shaker. I'm going to open the piece of paper. And it says, some things are destined to happen. Oh, God. <laughs> and the salt shaker explodes. explodes. Who keeps letting me open boxes? <laughs> and unfurl scrolls. <laughs> you unfurl this piece of paper and it kind of looks like gibberish. But for you, Jake, it looks different. One, because of your cyber eyes. There's a strange feedback coming off of both of these items, and you actually recognize parts of the writing. It's hard to connect, but it seems like the spoken components for a spell. Oh, those are spell components. I don't know what exactly it does, but like that's that's magic ingredients, baby. Okay, so obviously we roll this up and take it back with us, yeah? I want to pull out the capsule and see if I can even squeeze a salt shaker and, <laughs> and roll a paper into it. It doesn't seem like the salt shaker would fit, but actually as you crack open the capsule, you do notice that the coins and the pills have that same strange feedback in your eyes. These have all got some kind of feedback. I can't, I don't know if it's just like magic feedback because they are, I mean, they are all vaguely, vaguely magical or weird science soul. Huh. Okay. Or maybe it's just because they're all from like our world. Okay. Yeah, like the salt shaker. Is there anything, I don't know how to ask it. Is there just anything particular about it? Like anything odd or? Yeah, you take a look over the salt shaker and it is a white salt shaker with a red cap. And on it, there's a little basket of red flowers and it says salt on the top. Um, but you don't see anything out of the ordinary about it. Yeah, well, I yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that's a good thought. If they all did just come from our world, they might have that same kind of feedback, I guess. Um, I mean, we can at least get the piece of paper in the capsule with everything else, and the salt shaker doesn't seem like it'll go, but if this stuff is from our world, it might just go fine. Like, we might not need to capsule it. And then I guess worst case, if we don't think there's anything significant about this salt and it doesn't make it through, that's not like terrible or we could come back through for it. I think we try. If that doesn't work, we know to come back through and, and try to figure it out. But if we can get this stuff back, I mean, this was holy shit. This was some high security stuff that he did to keep this safe. Yeah, that's true. There's got to be something about this salt that we don't get. Oh, like, yeah. This specific thing has to be important or else it wouldn't have been 
part of this mission. Is it full? Like, am I shaking it and hearing something? Yeah, salt comes out. Okay. Stop wasting it. I, well, I, I'm, I'm like shoveling it back into the holes. Gross. Stop polluting it. I, What's the matter with you? I just, no. Oh. Don't you know how salt works? <laughs> I guess we better at least go drop this stuff off at home. Like, I know there's more stuff we kind of want to do here, but if this is the important shit, I would hate to stay here and risk losing it now that there's a killer hunting us and all. Yep, I uh, I agree. Is there anything, like, we need to do before we go? I don't know what. I think we go. Okay, I guess we should, like, package up everything we're taking back with us and head back for the clone room where the portal is. All right, so let's take a moment and level up. Yeah. Uh, so what are you both taking? Uh, I think I actually earned one more XP here too, um, because one of my directives is vengeful when you harm Nash or their interests, mark experience. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with another move from my playbook. The move is called Human Terrain. When you investigate a group and spend intel, name that group as your target. You gain plus one ongoing while acting against or in pursuit of that group. You may only target one group at a time. I feel like if we come back here and we are dedicatedly like hunting Nash's shit, you know, that's kind of the singular purpose. I've named that group and I'm better at it. I am also going to take a move from this playbook. Uh, this one is called Plan B. When shit hits the fan and you have to get out, name your escape route and roll cool on a 10 plus Sweet, you're gone. On a seven to nine, you can go or stay, but if you go, it costs you. Uh, leave something behind uh, or take something with you. In either case, the MC will tell you what. And uh, on a six or lower, you're caught in a vulnerable position, half in and half out. The MC will make a move. So we jump over and we are back in the alley outside of the small clone facility that you both entered into this world. What are you doing? Uh, I'm going to go back by that little secret compartment and put the code in to uh, crack this place open. You enter the code and the dumpster starts to slide open, but inside you hear some small explosions and you hear the crackle of fire begin. And from down the alleyway, you hear someone shout, hey, I think you and I need to have some words. Uh, I'm going to whip around to see who's talking. There is someone standing in the alleyway. They have a holdout pistol at their side. And in the dim light of the alley, you can clearly make out purple skin. Oh, and they start to jog down the alley and you see two more figures come into the mouth of the alley and start heading down as well. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout. I'm sorry for everything. Peregrine K is hunting you. Plan B. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying that to them. Uh, I am. That, that, that is definitely. All right, roll it. Okay. Seven. All right. So, on a mixed success, you leave something behind. As you realize what is going on, you pivot on one foot and you push Jake towards the hole into the building. And Jake, out of your pocket, comes tumbling the capsule and it cracks open and spills. And you reach down and you scoop up what you can and stuff it back inside. As you both dive into this open hole, fire starting to fill the building. You get inside and this whole building is ablaze, but you know where the ladder is and you start to climb your way up. You run down the catwalk as old chunks of wood and concrete start falling on this walkway. You both plant a foot on the catwalk and leap towards the portal. And Jake, 
you have this split second to realize that you have not put the piece of paper through the portal yet as you are sailing towards it. I think Tassa's move gets you guys safely out. But if you want to scramble and try to get the paper out of the capsule and throw it through, I think that's going to be an act under pressure. I don't think I can gamble that piece of paper. I mean, it's been four days here. I guess we don't know what direction the time goes, but... I don't think I would risk fucking up and losing that thing and just, you know, obviously compromising everything we have to do from now on. Oh, boy. Uh, Okay. I support you. All right. You both pass into the portal. There's that sense again of dizziness and vertigo, and you are back in your bodies standing, looking at the portal that you just stepped into in this world. Whoa. Okay. We made it. Uh, Rev, Rev, shut it down. What? Shut it down. We're back. And he is right behind you with the carts. Oh, okay. Okay. And he goes over and turns it off. Okay, cool. Did no time pass? No. Did you guys even go in? Yeah, we went in. Did you not put the paper through? No, I couldn't. We were fucking, we were bailing out from the fire. I figured if I tried to scramble for the paper, I could drop it and burn it. So I gambled. Okay. I mean, that answers that. I guess, I guess time moves faster there because if you didn't see us do anything yeah i don't know like a, just a couple seconds passed you guys said you were ready you stepped through the portal i walked away from the console and grabbed the two hospital beds here and now you're back how long were you gone something like four days give or take that's a pretty wicked conversion yeah it is in our favor thank god like just us having this conversation like a week has passed yeah and now another as we sat in silence thinking about that thought. Okay, this is get, it's getting worse every time. And if we need to go back and like recover another thing, don't we need to go back fast? We would have to go back literally right now if we wanted to get anything without, oh, I, God, hundreds of years passing? I don't know, man. Somewhere between like a hundred and a hundred thousand years. I can't, I'm like trying to do the math on my calculator. Well, you guys did like a heist there? Yeah, kinda. At least things like are are cooling off like six weeks now, probably. Oh, you, please, please stop. I just, I think that's how I have to mark time now. It's just stuck in my head seven oh, weeks. Oh, God. <laughs> what did you get? Well, let's talk about it. Eight weeks. Um, Is the, what became of the salt shaker? It is still in your hand. Hey, okay. That's cool. So things that came from here will just come back here. No problem. Interesting. We got spell components out of Nash's bank vault. Oh, I will show him the salt shaker and the little scroll. And looking at it on this side, Jake, you actually recognize what this spell is. You use magic now. You understand how this works. And it's a pretty complicated spell, but it is a spell that would open up a pocket dimension, like another just little side room off of this world. It would create one or open one that exists? Open one that exists. Okay, this spell will basically open the door to an existing pocket dimension. Oh, God. So hold on. So did he have in high security a thing to protect his high security? Kind of. It seems like he put a key in a lockbox, you know? Huh. So like whatever's in this pocket dimension is probably more valuable than the things to reach this pocket dimension. And those were hard to get anyway. We're going to open it, right? Are we? Right now, we have no idea what's in it. What if we open it and it's full of bees? What then, Tass? <laughs> you will protect me. You're invincible. I'm not protecting you. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, I understand. There could be anything. I mean, there could be 
like whatever monster he's trying to turn into a chosen monster. It could be it could be anything. Do I think that there is any way I could big magic a solution to kind of open a window instead of a door to this pocket dimension? I mean, you've already got see another time or place, so you could just roll that. This is a technically another place. That is a fair point. May I? Yes. Nine. All right. What is your glitch? The effect is of short duration. So there is a brief vision in front of you of this small town. It is fall and you see people on their way to work. Is there any place identifier? Is there like a sign, street signs, town name, anything? Roll investigate a mystery. Eight. You get a hold one. I guess what is being concealed here? As you watch, your view of this town moves down towards the street, and there is a small green house with the street number 743. And your vision flows through the window into the house, through a living room, and into a kitchen. And on an antique dining table sits a napkin holder and a white pepper shaker with a red cap and a painting of a basket of red flowers, the mate to the salt shaker you found in Gregory Nash's lockbox. Well, hey, everybody. I am joined by a very special guest, Hamish Cameron, the creator of The Sprawl. Thanks so much for joining us, Hamish. Hi, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think the first question I want to ask is, what was the inspiration behind The Sprawl? Like, what pushed you to create this particular Powered by the Apocalypse game? So I played a ton of Shadowrun when I was in uh, high school yeah. um, and and afterwards. Uh, although now that I think back to it, mostly it was in high school. <laughs> uh, and that was like mostly first and second edition. I really dug the world at that time. I dug the game and all its systems. But as an adult, you have less time that is available to play and you want to play stories that are a bit more compact sometimes. Depends. Obviously, everybody's different. I certainly find that. Yeah. Um, but I want to be able to com- play like a, a complete satisfying story in the sort of like two to four hour slot which is usually what i have in an evening before i have to like go home and go to bed and get up early for work and all that stuff right and you can't get together as often as you want so if you split a story in the middle then it's a pain in the butt so i hadn't played in a in a cyberpunk type game for ages or i hadn't hadn't played that genre very much uh until apocalypse world came out and then i started playing apocalypse world and the sort of early prototypes for dungeon world i was like this is uh this is really cool i could um this would be great for a lot of other systems and it turns out a lot of other people think that way and now there are a ton of power by the apocalypse games (laughs) um but i was at big bad con one year and picked up a first edition hardcover of shadowrun because I my original copy was obviously like this, the binding had all gone right. Oh, yeah. It was all held together by masking tape, and I, it was not like I was using it any, anymore anyway. But I'd never had a hard copy, a hardcover, so I picked it up and I was reading it in the back of the car as we were driving back from San Francisco to Los Angeles, and it's like this is uh, I can I can make a move for this. Like uh, this could be a good playbook, and I just started like noodling on it in the back of the car, and then that was it i started working on it and the more i thought about it the more i thought of like interesting ways to represent certain cyberpunk tropes in the game and it, it just sort of came from there uh and so it was really about my desire to play in that kind of cyberpunk world and obviously i i was a big fan of like william gibson and that's pretty clear from <laughs> like reading the sprawl yeah uh, and a bunch of other cyberpunk works as well um including more recent ones um uh, and so I've always had like a soft spot in my heart for that genre, even in times when I wasn't playing it. It's one of those genres where I'm like, oh, yeah, I need, I need to play another cyberpunk game. <laughs> uh, 
And so, yeah, I, I, I wrote a system that would let me play the game in the way that I wanted to play it. So one of the things that was really interesting to me as I was learning the game to run it was the idea of the phases. Because, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse games... I think in general, give you that ability to, you know what, this scene's over, let's jump somewhere else. Okay, this scene's over, let's jump somewhere else. But it's really interesting to me how you connect it to the mechanics of the game. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, why you attached it to moves and, and made such a clear jump from, from one stage to another? Yeah, well, there's one thing that often happens in heist games generally, but I found it a lot in Shadowrun or other like Cyberpunk games, um, that because the players expect the GM to be kind of adversarial, they overplan in a way that doesn't really replicate the kind of fiction that you see. Like if you watch a heist movie, they make a plan and the plan is going to go wrong at some point. <laughs> and that's just a given, right? You, the viewer, know that. Yeah. But the plan seems good at the start and the plan is good at the start. There's just going to be something that comes in. And that something is usually not something that's bad about the plan. It's some like random coincidence that throws a spanner into the works. So part of the reason why I, I wanted to break that up is to make explicit that like there is a part of this game that is about planning and information gathering, and then there is a part of this game that is about doing the thing. And you should limit the first one so that it doesn't end up that you spend all night doing the planning and then you don't have time to do the actual cool thing. Yeah. Because you yeah, I don't want the I don't want the game to be like and the game shouldn't be adversarial in that way, right? Be a fan of the players. You should yeah. give the players enough information that they can do the thing. Make a plan that's fine. It only has to be fine. And then there are theoretically enough tools in the game that when something goes wrong, they can show how they get out of it using all the same tools that you'd see in a heist movie. Mm -hmm. Um I really do think about the game a lot and the way that it is played in a sort of movie frame. Um, it's part of why a lot something that a lot of people want from it is like a downtime mechanic and there isn't a downtime mechanic in part because i think of it in a movie kind of way where in a in a two-hour movie there's no downtime there's flashbacks to downtime maybe there is trouble from downtime that comes into the actual movie but you don't see the people like oh okay now i'm going shopping now i'm talking to my friend those things can be fun and in a more in like a series a tv show maybe you'd get more of that yeah. But uh, I am going for a more like kind of condensed thing where those things come in, but you as the players and as the as the MC sort of say when they come in um, and then we don't necessarily see them in detail. You talked about this a little bit before, but what were some of your influences, especially with the playbooks? So once I decided uh, that I was like going to do this as a as a thing that I would I would try and publish, I went back and I read through every William Gibson novel uh, and I read through. Uh, like Snow Crash, and I read through uh, like Transmetropolitan, and I watched all the sort of classic cyberpunk movies, and I thought about all the characters that people might want to play from these things, and thought about how they would fit into tropes, and a lot of them just sort of came out pretty pretty quick, right? So like Molly Millions, you've got to have some sort of like cybernetic killer. Yeah, um, you've got to have a hacker, and some of them were okay. This is a thing that maybe Apocalypse World has. Is this a is this something that would exist in a cyber cyberpunk game, or this is a thing that Shadowrun had as an archetype is this a thing that i could put in and things ended up getting crunched together so like shadowrun has like the rocker and the ganger and something else that sort of got pushed into the pusher mm -hmm. um as a kind of leader of people and so that's that's generally the way i went about it i went back to what the sources of the genre that i was trying to emulate were 
and I looked at them with an eye to what is a playable character in here and what how do I replicate this thing that they're doing in the book here in the fiction of the game, in the mechanics rather. You know, I find that a lot of times when we get a chance to talk to people, they have something in the game, whether it's a, a playbook or a move. Do you have one of those things that stands out to you years later as one of your favorite elements? It's probably um, like the soldier is my favorite playbook. And it's probably like, I love it when a plan comes together or one of those like planning move yeah. things. I like that, that sort of thing that gives the player like a real like mechanical way to engage with the fiction and manipulate it and to make those sort of like coincidence jumps or highly skilled jumps that you see in heist movies where all of a sudden the person turns up exactly where he needed to be because he's a planner, right? And that's what he does. <laughs> um, I also really like the uh, reporter move, um, Live and on the Air, yeah, which is from another like influence that I didn't mention then, um, uh, Max Headroom, yes, the TV show. And like, if, if that if any of the re- moves on the reporter playbook don't make sense, then watch Mad- Max Headroom, and then they probably will make sense. <laughs> like that one in particular. That's how he gets out of trouble all the time. He just turns on his camera and points it at someone, and like. <laughs> In 2020, we know that that's not actually a, a viable thing that reporters can do to get out of trouble. Yeah. But it has, it's something about the fiction and certainly in the fiction of the 80s that was uh, that was imagined by the creators of that anyway. Maybe I'll ask you a question in return. Okay. Like what is the what is the part of the game that you and your group have enjoyed the most or engaged with the most? Being able to name a contact is really cool because as you said before, there's the idea that we don't want to show the downtime. But there is a history Mm -hmm. and, you know, naming that contact coming up with a backstory for them, it might advance your clock, um, you know, somewhere down the road. Um, And for us in particular, too, because we are dealing with a group of players who are jumping from universe to universe trying to deal with this bigger threat. So in the worlds that they go to, sometimes they see familiar faces or hear familiar names. Not always, but with this name a contact ability, it let them drop in people that, oh, you know what? I know this person from Earth, so I think they exist here. And so mechanically, it didn't help them out at all. But I think as characters in that world, it made them feel a little safer seeing a familiar face as they're trying to deal with this, you know, bright, dirty, chromed world around them. I'm a big fan of allowing spaces for um, the players to put their input into the game um whenever they want not just in like a, oh let's discuss what we're going to play and let's play this and then the gm goes away and makes a thing that, that yeah. suits his players but like having moments where the gm can be surprised like because you don't know when those that's coming because it's in the player's hands they they are the one who says oh would have been wouldn't it be cool if we met this guy now and you're like uh yeah that would that's great I love yeah. that as an as an MC. That's my favorite thing when the players come up with something that I'm not expecting and it's way better than whatever I had planned. Oh yeah, or was thinking of as a possibility, and I can be like, yeah, that, oh, let's run with that. That's fantastic. Yeah, and especially using those contacts to because that's a big part of I think at least for me planning for the sprawl was just okay. What are my my mission points that they've got, and what are the things they're going to have to get past, and then them using contacts to find a different way around because I'm I'm a big fan of. You know, when someone gets a question, if they can they can ask a question, if there isn't an answer for that question, there is now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes things that they weren't aware of or even that I wasn't aware of are generated into the fiction by those questions. So, yeah, that the way that contacts work in the sprawl is definitely inspired also by the contact system in Shadowrun. Although I think at this point, it's probably uh, went through so many iterations that it doesn't bear that much resemblance to it anymore yeah. uh, in original versions of the game you had to choose a number of contacts uh, and you you were allowed a certain number of contacts well you were allowed as many contacts as you want but every game before you uh before you played you had to roll a move in which you added the number of contacts you had listed on your sheet 
and that was a kind of like damage move uh that was essentially like does one of them cause trouble like is there a problem with one of them yeah uh, and i ended up that was that just didn't end up like working out that well i fo- i folded that into the hit the street move so the hit the street when you roll it generates those problems as a potential complication rather than doing a sort of before the mission kind of move so knowing that a big part of your influence was Shadowrun, was there ever a draft of this game that involved that fantasy element of little bits of magic or other types of peoples or anything like that so when i kickstarted it a couple of people um had ideas for writing magical versions but it's it's sort of a a hint at the idiosyncratic nature of like the way everybody engages with a set of rules and the way that i engaged with shadowrun was hardly i did not care about magic at all um i i mean i like i dug that there were fantasy races in there and that they had the sort of like trappings of D, but i didn't really that whole like astral plane stuff um and all of that extra magic stuff was not a big part of what i thought about when i thought about playing cyberpunk games even though i was using shadowrun as the main as the main game and players would sometimes bring that in but it's like it's one of those games where there's a whole lot of extra subsystems and the more subsystems the more complicated it gets that was just something that i didn't really care that much in which means that like really i should have been playing cyberpunk maybe um but there was something (laughs) about the world of shadowrun that i really liked and i liked that magical like mystical conspiracy backstory stuff um even if the even if i only wanted that to appear in the game as like color or fiction Mm. rather than as a mechanical thing so the answer to that question is no i never actually even when i was looking at it initially i never thought oh i could let me do this as a magical fantasy thing it was always from the start for me uh let me let me take what i loved about shadowrun and then go back to the original kind of cyberpunk authors and start there and then build it up from there but with this inspirational game that i used to play a lot in the background but not as that kind of influence much more about the heist yep yep and the kind of because that's the kind of mission that i i mean most of the shadowrun games i played or ran were that sort of thing right it was was basically a heist which is a very common type of role-playing scenario um and yeah thinking about how that would how that would work in powered by the apocalypse i mean that's what uh uh neuromancer right neuromancer is a heist oh uh yeah. the, the sort of origin point right it starts it starts with that so uh, you know the thing i always remember about shadow run was oh it's time for the hacker to go mm-hmm. everybody else go in the other room for mm-hmm. an hour because it's going to be a while <laughs> as they <laughs> try to try to get their way through all of the computer systems yeah and, and that's something that i tried to um fix a bit in the sprawl um i'm not it's the part of the game that I'm the least happy with, um, actually, and I, I'm sure that I will do a second edition at some point, and that will be something that gets a significant overhaul. Um, I don't have any specific. I have a document on my computer that is second edition notes, yeah. and I have some things in it, but nothing really that's enough yet. But when I do it, and I'm sure I will, I will try to make the hacking stuff less idiosyncratic and bring it in line more with everything when i run it i i feel like it it works pretty smoothly but i think for other people to run it sometimes i i get comments that it still feels like too much of a separate subsystem and i see that mm. for sure so where can people find you and your work uh so my you can get all of the sprawl stuff on drive through rpg and also from indie press revolution uh i am on twitter pretty regularly that's probably the best place to make contact with me um at peregrine kiwi i sometimes stream on twitch but i don't do it that often also at peregrine kiwi um that's really sort of patchy uh so the best thing for that is to watch out on twitter for when i say i'm going to stream something i'll probably do some streaming of the cyberpunk 2077 Mm. when it comes out just because it's extremely in my brand (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, where else? Uh, I feel like those are the main places. There's also a, a Twitter account for the Sprawl, the Sprawl RPG, and you can find that on Facebook. Um, and I have one for Arden's Luteray on Twitter as well. And uh, do you have any other projects coming up that you'd like to let our listeners know about? So the other game that I uh, published was called Dinosaur Princesses, and my spouse and I um, wrote and published that, and that came out last year and won an any or we got a silver any for um, best uh, family game. And so while I was working on that, I was also working on a game called Cratophagia, which is about cannibalism. Um, so going from dinosaur princesses to cannibal uh, post-apocalyptic creatures um, there's a bit of whiplash sometimes um, <laughs> I plan to release that in a sort of like Ashcan format on Itch.io sometime relatively soon and get sort of feedback on that uh, it's mostly done but I need to think about how the campaign structure for it works it's very um, it's very short it's about uh, creepy little post-apocalyptic creatures who eat each other in game powers um, so if you want to eat your friends then <laughs> have I got a game for you <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm also working on a um a revisionist take on sixties era Bond movies, uh, which will be powered by the apocalypse. Oh nice. The kind of James Bond that you might want to play in the twenty first century rather than the problematic Bond of the past. Yeah. 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 So those are the two things that I'm that I sort of working on at the moment. They've been a bit on the back back burner because I just moved uh from the US back to New Zealand um relatively recently and uh, but now that I'm sort of a bit more settled, those will be coming more online. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Hamish, and we will see you all next week. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Space Podity. An actual play D&D Spelljammer podcast. In Space Podity, four adventurers visit the worlds and vex the GMs of other actual play shows. Keep listening for a sneak peek and please subscribe so you don't miss the first episodes set in the campaign of the long-running Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Acting Captain's Log. We've crashed our flying birdbath mansion. Long story. The party of groundling adventurers on board is kind and heroic, but untrusting, and is staring at me. It consists of a traumatized minotaur. You, you want to see traumatized? A spooky Asimar child. I'm an adult An now. adult Asimar child, whom I suspect to be enthralled by a hidden power, and the most headstrong elf I have ever met, and that includes Rascal Gar, the cataclysmically reckless from the former Arajanon Zed. Sounds fun. Also, the mansion's kitchens are out of ale. How am I gonna function? Space Podity. Find us wherever your podcasts are.